0: Santa Cruz Coffee Break, a special podcast series brought to you through the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum, a place on the web where guitar players can comfortably get together and enjoy their love of great music, great players, and of course, great Santa Cruz Guitar Company guitars. Find us on the web at santacruzguitarplayers.com. Should you want to reach Santa Cruz Guitar Company, their web address is santacruzguitar.com. Santa Cruz Coffee Break is completely informal, and if you have ideas of topics you'd like to hear Richard Hoover express his thoughts on, please join us on the forum and send us a message. Please also note that all the opinions are those of the speakers and do not reflect the official positions of Santa Cruz Guitar Company, its employees, or its dealers. With all that out of the way, let's get on to this month's Santa Cruz Coffee Break. This month's installment of the Santa Cruz Coffee Break is a barn burner. Richard Hoover is going to discuss and myth-bust guitar tops. This will be a two-part episode, so let's get right into it. I hope you enjoy it.
1: All right, well, this is podcast number seven. We've made it this far, feeling lucky, feeling good. Uh, We have Mr. Newman on the headphones again, and we have Maestro Hoover with us. Uh, Today, we wanted to talk about tops, but... Before we start that, we have not seen uh, our friends at Santa Cruz since they returned from NAM. So, Richard, can you give us any uh, interesting information about your NAM trip this year?
2: Yeah, what a you know what an immersion that is. Uh, we uh, we work uh, three hundred and sixty-four days a year or thereabouts, um, going back to forth to work like everybody, and sometimes you use a little perspective on on the outside in or the world view of us and going to the NAM show. Is an international show where we get feedback from people all over the world, and it's really restorative, you know, uh, nutritious, if you will, to get people's uh, response to what we're doing. Uh, we take a snapshot of our production, and in this case, it's all custom stuff. Some great, uh, uh, great eye-catching, and woods with an awesome story. You know, 45,000-year-old cowrie, 3,000-year-old frozen spruce. Uh, uh, So there's always something to talk about and we are a destination for a lot of people that come there. So at Santa Cruz Guitar Company at 43 years old, uh, you can imagine my first NAMM shows were a long time ago (laughs) and everybody was my father's age. And uh, the response back then, as you recall uh, yourself, uh, Gibson and Martin made guitars, not human beings, and we were a real anomaly. And advice I get from uh, you know, the veterans were things like, uh, son, the first thing you need to learn about this business is nobody's going to pay $500 for a guitar. <laughs> yes, um, yes. Or uh, things like, um, you know, it's too bad you can't make these guitars out of solid wood. <laughs> So, anyway, we, we survived to today, and I was talking about the restorative nature of this, uh, you know, affirmation for what you do all year long. And the takeaway I have for uh, that, I was joking to Richard, is uh, my formula, new formula for world peace is that everyone should have a chance at least once a year to have people line up uh, just to tell them they're okay. Yeah, yeah. That's What okay. they're doing is all right. And if we all saw that, we'd uh, realize uh, there's nothing to worry about, yeah. we're, well, we're in good shape.
1: And NAM is also a chance, uh, you have a bunch of the Santa Cruz Signature artists um, show up and, and talk to people and, and everything else, and, Yeah. Mm-hmm. so that's got to be a great experience to get together with them and, and be able to listen to them play and, and everybody else get a chance to hear them play too.
2: We all should be so lucky. (laughs) Um, We've learned our lesson in going there for so many years. The uh, life of of, uh, going from the show to a hotel room, being exhausted, not wanting to go any further or go out. Uh, You miss a lot of the opportunities for um, uh, friendship, bonding. Uh, And this brings me to our artist relations program is this complicated, it's my relationship with artists, right? So we don't have contracts, uh, we don't have any demands on them, they're really the evolution of a friendship that evolved because these people came to us for a custom guitar and from that grew the the model that we have available for their fans. So uh, what we do is we rent an Airbnb, we have a big house with oodles of bedrooms and room. And everybody stays in the same house. So after the show, we go back, we get to uh, take out, take off our shoes, sit on the couch. And of the five uh, um, people that were that were there, let's see if I can get this right. Uh, Eric Skye, Jamie Stillaway, James Nash, Scott Law, Catfish Keith, uh, those guys all have different styles. They play solo, um, uh, they have their Repertoires, but they all sat on the couch and played together, and uh, a lot of jazz standards, um, a lot of innovative things, and they just had the opportunity to get telepathic. And you can tell when musicians that are jamming hit that point where they're where they're of one mind, and it was just magical to hear this stuff. Uh, they affirmed that after they were done, some of the comments were things like, you know, I really. Remembered why I started playing music in the first place, wow. you know, and uh, people forgot their their own egos or personalities and just went for the pure joy of it. And you can't you can't engineer those things, you know. You can't make that happen on purpose. So I'm rich. Yeah. You know? I, it just uh, sounds oh, magical. It just sounds. Yeah, it was fantastic. really, 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 really a beautiful thing. Yeah. And of course, they also came to the booth and played during the day, which is a, a Uh, as a great way for people to get a feeling of who we are, uh, not just what we make. You know, it's, it's a, we're a little oasis there in the show. Uh, most things are flashing lights and uh, visuals to really get you to stop in your tracks and look at stuff. And ours is more the oasis, a little peace of mind and and harmony, a refuge if you will, in the middle of the show.
1: There's nothing like a whole lot of flashing lights to let you know how good something sounds. <laughs> 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 yeah. But you know, yeah. So so that kind of leads into where we're going today. I mean. If you take away the single most important part of making a guitar sound good, which would be the person playing it, uh, probably the second most important part is the top. That is where the sound all kind of originates from. As much as, as it integrates with the rest of the guitar, if we just concentrate on the top itself, Richard, what do you think makes a really great guitar top?
2: Uh, I'll I'll go ahead and address that question directly as a a little preface here to start out with this. Uh, That, you know, that is the uh, dominant paradigm or folklore, the guitar top is is it and the rest of it is uh, uh, maybe superfluous. Some companies would argue it's the brand that makes the guitar sound good or not. And of course, the materials. So let's take a, a speaker cabinet analogy. Um, if you took the speaker cone and excited it electrically, uh, held it in the air, uh, you couldn't sell a ticket or get people... To, a formal line to hear it because you couldn't hear it, you know? The uh, supportive elements of uh, the cabinet, what it's made out of, the structure and so forth is what amplifies that and gives us the experience. So without discounting any other part of the guitar, uh, let's focus on the top because, as you said, it is the driver of the air compression that we're going to experience the sound. So your question, what makes a good guitar top? Let's break it into two separate things. One is the subjective or the personal taste. Anything that you can manipulate on your sound system with a knob or slider is a personal choice. If there was a right or wrong, you wouldn't get knobs and sliders, you'd get a box that was preset, right? right. So within the guitar top, there are personal choices and then there is the stuff that everybody wants no matter what style they play right so what makes a good guitar top on the subjective things are personal Uh, What makes a good guitar top for you is different than what might make a good guitar top for me. But don't confuse this with the statement that you hear uh, from some big manufacturers that, oh, all guitars are different. Uh, Some uh, people like this, some people like that. Everybody will find a match, so there's no such thing as good or bad. That's nonsense. There are uh, quantifications you could make that are truly make a guitar top good or bad. Let's talk about resonance, uh, sustain. Everybody wants the sound to last a long time. Uh, complexity, everybody wants a full, rich, colorful sound. And those are those are things on the uh, objective side that everybody wants. We want a guitar top that has the potential to sustain and uh, develop rich, complex overtones. So how we manipulate it is going to be critical to achieving those, but starting with the fundamental um, Uh, qualities, let's say, of that. Um, That would be a degree of stiffness and integrity. The guitar top, like a speaker cone, uh, needs to be light but strong. This is why a speaker cone would be made out of aluminum, let's say. It's light enough to be resonant to move and compress air, but it's strong enough to hold the demands of uh, moving back and forth or in the guitar, hold the attention of the strings. So I could, I could go on and on about what we're looking for in a guitar top, but I know from previewing your questions here, you're <laughs> going to ask some of those. But so most importantly here for that long-winded answer uh, to set the, the, the basis or the, or the color of this discussion is the guitar top, we're looking for the potential to manipulate what the player wants and also to get the sustain and overtones.
1: So that makes sense. And the the problem, as I see it, is when you're looking at a tree, it's hard to tell what kind of sustain and overtone that tree is going to have in it. And so much of the grading of materials, woods, for building guitars, is done primarily for aesthetic reasons, for visual appearance and, and, and everything else. And that's important for sales. I know that there's a lot of times you might have a piece of wood that has some minor flaw in it that in no way would affect the quality of the instrument or the quality of the sound mm-hmm. but visually it could be unappealing to a customer and if it's unappealing to them visually it's going to be a hard thing to sell um, so if you're walking in and you see a whole group of tops can you make any kind of judgment visually you know looking at get um, a, a group of tops as to whether or not they're going to be of a quality that you're going to accept, or does does it take more than that? What yeah, you have to clear. do? clear.
2: Well, you hit on something really important there. Cosmetics is um, uh, for a company uh, to not have to make excuses, right? Anything that puts a question in a buyer's mind could break the deal, and uh, so if you're a, a company like Yamaha that's going to sell a million guitars a year, you want the least resistance possible, so you're going to have a cosmetic standard for the guitar. Uh, we do as well, uh, and it's not secondary, it's something we want too. Uh, so we're looking for, again, potential for, for great sound, and we'd like it to not have to, we don't have to want to make excuses about uh, a knothole or a blemish or things like that. But that might not necessarily affect the sound of it, right? Uh, when I look at uh, guitar tops, I'm gonna say first, let's just bust a myth. Uh, grains per inch tells you absolutely nothing okay. okay from tree to tree the width of the, uh, the distance between the hard parts of the grain um, doesn't tell you stiffness sound quality or anything within the same piece the tighter grain and the wider grain could indicate a hardness off but in some species that would be re- I shouldn't say species and some types of spruce that could be Reverse. Sometimes we'll find Adirondack where the wider grains are the stiffest and the uh, t- tighter grains are the most flexible. So it's not a way to determine uh, anything but cosmetics in the top. Grains per inch is, 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 a, uh, is misleading. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of the old That's books you, the, yeah.
1: had you judge almost entirely based on how many grain per inch. And that
2: may be true. I, I haven't read everything. I like to think I have. But uh, it's mostly folklore. Yeah. Um, and it's—I've heard it since I started 50 years ago. So it's been around for a really long time. With that, uh, again, it may—it may have all clichés start from some place, some element of truth. And it may be uh, somebody's experienced that in that one piece of wood, the tighter grains were a little stiffer. Uh, the, lo- the wider grains were looser, and they—they they extrapolate that the tighter grain is better. Uh, but it is not. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah, it's not That's an indicator. Yeah, of that
1: so so when you're looking at a a large group of tops are there any visual indications to you that that you know you're looking for before making any other judgments or do you have to like actually Close your eyes and and fondle them and touch them and bend them and tap well, them and
2: uh, without being silly, all of that. Yeah. Uh, so when you when you go to judge a group of things and you have the experience, you know anything you've done over and over and over over again for most of your life, you get a really uh, accurate uh, ability to discriminate yeah. uh, differences. Right? Spookily so. So uh, the filters I'll start with are just to get a subset that then I'll go in and look for other things on right okay. so when i look at i look at it top first my mind is going through is uh, it's just got the potential i want so i can see in on the surface uh, not always but mostly i can tell whether that has been quarter sawn that the grain's running perpendicular to the surface, and if so, I know that's appropriate for a Sitka spruce or a cedar or a a redwood. It has to have that for strength. But I'm going to verify that by both looking at the end grain and feeling it to see that it has the stiffness on it. So if I was looking at um, 100 tops and sorting through, I could put a whole lot of them aside and not even look at them because I know they're not going to fit. The, the criteria. Of course, a knothole, a limb shadow where the grain is running, uh, there's a little variation you can see in color. And again, these are subtleties, but you, you'll get that. So yeah, I can judge from a stack of wood the ones I want to evaluate further and the ones I don't.
1: So basically, a, you yeah. can go through and do your initial culling, so to speak, very quickly, That's right. just based on visual indicators that, That's right. you know, from um, your experience.
2: When a guitar is in, when a top is already in a guitar, no, even I with all my experience uh, couldn't make a judgment about the quality of sound of that instrument yeah. because the maker, if they're practiced enough, um, there's a lot of manipulations they can do to either enhance or overcome something in a top. So no, you're not going to be able to judge the sound of a guitar by looking at the top. Okay, you know, okay. Uh, crack, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so
1: uh, you, you kind of brought it up, you know, almost all guitar tops are spruce, Um, most of them at least. And they're primarily two common types that are used, Sitka and Adirondack. Um, Can you speak to any generalities regarding those two species and and how you evaluate them or use them or see their potential or their properties?
2: Um, Certainly. Um, And in fact, let me give you this uh, uh, caveat here, which I usually do at the beginning. I'm gonna stick to uh, what's been proven through scientific experimentation uh, and physics. Uh, if I'm gonna give you an opinion, I'll try to warn you first, okay. right? You know, <laughs> well, uh, the here, internet's the place opinions, to go so. for opinions on this. <laughs> so I don't wanna say something for public dissemination uh, that's an opinion without a warning first, right? Fair enough. So in this case, we just stick to the physics of how this works. Really, what we're talking about is differences in a strength to weight ratio. If you had, you know, uh, 10 different materials here uh, and on one extreme you had uh, aluminum, which is light and strong, okay? We choose that to make a speaker cone, let's say, or a boat mast, you know, because it needs to be able to hold uh, a a structural integrity, but it has to be light enough to be resonant, okay? Uh, That variation is where the variations in tone comes from. And I want to describe my use of tone. Uh, It's it's a term that's used really ubiquitous in discussions about uh, how how a player sounds, for instance. But in this case, the acoustic physics of this, tone is the scale of bright, clear, articulate to dark, warm, and blended, okay? nothing to do with EQ or bass to treble. Um, A bell made out of silver is going to have a bright clear ring. A bell made out of bronze is going to have a warmer, darker, more blended, less distinct ring. So uh, this is where we get the difference in tone in the uh, woods. Uh, the woods themselves do not contribute to how much bass or trouble in the guitar, and that's a considerable mythbuster for uh, you know internet discussions. But when you choose a wood, it's it's uh, uh, rather than the right or wrong, it's the appropriateness for your playing style. So let's just go through these. You said uh, Sitka versus Adirondack. Uh, sit, we're ta- we always talk generalities because you're going to find one piece in many that's an exception right, that could right. cross over between these two descriptions. So Sitka, in general, is a wood that I would choose for a guitar that's going to have a warmer, more blended sound. It's not going to be the opposite; it would be articulate and clear. Uh, Me as a singer-songwriter might not be interested in the audience hearing every note I play clearly and separately as much as the the ambience, the the accompaniment, um, I want to pay attention to my brilliant lyrics as opposed to my flashy guitar playing. Uh So the guitar is going to be a a partner in this and uh, a supporting partner. And that warmer blended uh, uh, sound is going to go great with what I do. Here's a here's a great example. If you if you look at uh, dreadnoughts being used in in bluegrass music back when the when the dreadnought was actually the drums of the band and the rhythm, um, people preferred a, a tone that was a little warmer, right? Uh, because it drove the beat of the band. When people like uh, Tony Rice, Doc Watson, Dan Crary started walking up of the microphone that was shared with all the whole group and started playing the fiddle leads, they needed something that was more articulate, right, Mm -hmm. more clear. And today we find that Adirondack Spruce is really desirable in the Bluegrass Dreadnought because people showcase their masterful playing styles. Does that make sense? Yep. 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 So um, the Adirondack, as I just animated there, is a clearer, clearer tone, a brighter tone. Not treble or bass, just clear. You could have a muddy treble or a or, or clear articulate bass, right? So we'll choose these top woods to match a player's predominant style of playing. Okay. Okay, those aren't the only two. Oh, and, no, and, no. I think, and I think you'll, you'll address those in a minute right, here. Right, But so. Sitka and Adirondack are very distinct choices. And I'm going to repeat this one's not better than the other. They're like a flavor or a color. One's better or worse for you. Right, in your playing. And, so, and, and, and it has to do with the weight to strength ratio of both right. of those.
1: And those and those generalities um, are are generally true regardless of the size of guitar that you're building. Um, you know, anything from a single odd up to a jumbo, you're going to find that the sitka is going to give you yes. that more balance, not mm-hmm. balanced, not um, balanced, more blended kind yeah. of a sound. Balance song. is
2: an EQ based yeah, or treble yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah. So this is a mistake that people really knowledgeable people make all the time to mistake uh, a warm dark tone for bass and a bright clear tone for treble and you have to make that distinction that's why you have two separate controls and a, and a recording engineer would work EQ differently than, than tone in that therefore the folklore about oh I like Brazilian Rosewood because it's you'll find people say oh cuz that's where the good bass comes from or some people say that's where the clarity comes from Uh, when you find uh, those differences of opinion you realize you're talking opinions not not the physics of it
1: well and Sitka was used a great deal because uh, you can get some amazing material Uh, I mean tight close-grained you can get large trees. You can get really beautifully quarter sawn material. Um, so it was very popular in mass production of guitars, I believe. Um, whereas Adirondack, it got, I wouldn't say wiped out, but it got really we heavily- We used it up, yeah. Yeah, it mm-hmm. got really heavily logged. So, Finding that same quality is, is a much more difficult thing.
2: Yeah, that, that is. So all those factors come into play with popular perceptions mm-hmm. of, of this. And you're absolutely right. The, pr- the population pressure on where Adirondack grows was so great uh, that it got used for barns and firewood and fence posts and things like that. Also, uh, as the environment gets compromised, diseases come in and bugs come in that wouldn't have bothered it before. So you're right, to get the cosmetic quality that we we want, in that it takes some connections right. to do that. Worse, it because a lot more, uh, at least for today, we that for might today. turn around. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah,
1: Well, and that brings up so then the other spruce that's very commonly used. I'm going to just give the, the generic label European. That's right. Uh, mm-hmm. Because some people will call it German or Italian or or Swiss or uh, whatever, but the reality is is they're coming from the same alpine areas pretty much it's a question of which side of what country line they might be cut on or which side of the mountain they might be dragged down as to what name they might have? Sure. Is that a reasonable?
2: Well, of course, that's what determines base and trouble. You know, trees that grow in Italy are basier than trees that grow in Switzerland, <laughs> which are brighter and clearer, you know? <laughs> Just like automobile engineering. <laughs> And we prefer a tree that grows right on the the border, you know, uh, yeah, so we can use one half for the base one. Tri- we're going to
0: insert opinion alert. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
2: I, I did promise that. Um, okay, so uh, that was there was a means to an end there. Of course, the trees don't recognize uh, political boundaries uh, in this. It's it's more the environmental uh, uh, things, whether that is the 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 weather cycles and or the mineral content of the soil, et cetera, et cetera. You could get variation in that strength to weight ratio. So the same Picea abbeys, which is most commonly called European spruce, uh, can grow uh, from uh, Scandinavia down into the Italian Swiss border. And you'll find variations in it. Uh, Picea abbeys is what we would call German spruce, Italian spruce, Swiss spruce, Bulgarian, Czechoslovakian spruce. Yeah. But we might buy specifically from vendors that are in those areas because the wood is generally a little different with a capital G. But also the the family that's probably been doing this for 500 years plus has a standard and they have a reputation based on the kind of wood that they that they have for sale. Really, we have a we buy a wood. We buy what we would call German spruce. It doesn't mean it's confined to the German border. It means we buy from uh, Fritz Kulitz and his descendants, and they go all the way to Bosnia, Czechoslovakia. But but we know what we get from them is going to have a consistent presentation in general. And it's going to be not quite as edgy uh, as uh, the... Uh, Swiss spruce Swiss Italian spruce when we get that we have a better chance of getting getting a guitar that would would uh, Fit somebody who doesn't want quite that degree of uh, articulateness to the sound, voice of their guitar uh, and then we'll buy from the Swiss Italian border to get that like uh, really clean clear um, expose all of your nuance All so your f- defects. <laughs>
1: yeah, 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 so this is, so this is so it's a combination of environment soil potentially altitude you know I don't
2: you know here I don't even have an opinion I don't know okay I've heard people talk about that you know we prefer a tree that grows in a Western exposure on the side of the hill not too steep out of the wind and so it doesn't develop a twist etc etc but again that's your initial filter to go and get things that you would evaluate Further, but you would be most likely to get a larger yield of good stuff from those areas. Right? So,
1: so there, we're getting into the science and the black magic of those people who actually choose which tree to cut down. and, yeah. and, and drag if, back to their sawmill. If
2: your if your uh, family had done it for 500 years, you bet you get good at that. Yeah. And what you could judge by the standing tree is way beyond me. But but that's why we have specialties and we team yeah. together. You know.
1: And we should also probably just mention really quickly, or I should ask, I should say, Adirondack spruce yeah. does not necessarily always come from the Adirondacks.
2: Yeah, Carpathian spruce, that's another thing. You know, like, So let me just address your question. Adirondacks could arguably go from Tennessee to Nova Scotia. You know, okay. you don't hear much about Tennessee spruce. Right, right, right. Okay. okay. <laughs> Nor Nova Scotia spruce. But you could, Engelman likewise, you can get Engelman in Arizona, you know, all the way up into Canada. And, and you will find a difference in, again, weight to strength ratio, structural integrity, uh, tone. And those things are up to us to uh, pick out the stuff that we want from there. So you're right. Again, the, the ge- geographical. Identification, or as we'll talk about, I see later, the name, the cute name of something, right. isn't uh, indication of consistency.
1: Right. There. That I think that's what's important to get across is that not every piece of Sitka or Adirondack or Engelmann mm-hmm. or European spruce is, is going to be the same as every other. Yeah, piece, we're we're talking there
2: between clever marketing and intelligent lutherie. <laughs> there
1: you go. There you go. Okay. All right. I guess the next thing I was going to ask is, is where you get some of your spruces from. I know that you have established some really good connections with European suppliers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, I've heard the story, which I don't think we've done it in the podcast. But, you know, you've worked with some of these people for a very long time. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about uh, how you establish those connections and how they work to your advantage? Now? Sure.
2: Wood for me is relationships. Most of the stuff we get comes from smaller family operations. That's where you find the consistency. You know, the standards of what they want gets passed on to generation, and they're proud of that consistency. Um, Access to these people today is, um, you know, most people in the wood business, if they're successful, have adapted to the modern day, and you can uh, buy a piece or two on the Internet from them. But it wasn't always so. Uh, If we talk specifically about Europe, those families were in the violin tradition. They were cutting woods for uh, boat instruments, uh, you know, the violin, viola, uh, double bass. And uh, that was their specialty. And when I first started out in building guitars, um, it was was such a novelty that you were building a guitar that itself opened doors. And, you know, in, amongst, uh, in the U.S., uh, we could get into a lumberyard at lunch just because we made guitars and they were impressed, you know, and they'd show us around. In Europe, it was the opposite. They didn't take guitar making seriously, and they didn't want to uh, condescend to wasting their wood on guitar makers, right? Uh, that took introductions, uh, just like today. What makes the world go around is people that know people, and you get introduced to that network, and then you're okay. Right. So my first uh, dealings with, uh, with uh, Germany and German spruce uh, were through uh, Manfred Pichock, who was a violin maker and made the introduction to Gleisner, which is one of the old families that do it there. And they were suspicious, they didn't like it, but since Manfred made the introduction, they you know he's their friend they trusted him and they let me come in
1: well and and let me just say you got started with guitar building by studying violin making so Mm -hmm. when you were over there speaking with violin makers they knew that you weren't
2: you know who who walked yeah i can do a, g- a pretty good imitation of a knowledgeable uh, you know violin luthier uh, for you know for those kind of introductions but i also want to be forthright with them because i didn't want them to find out partway through this uh, negotiation uh, that i hadn't divulged i was a guitar maker that'd be a real a trust buster. Sure. <laughs> and that, so better to give them the bad news first as we <laughs> went into that. So uh, we'll, I'm going to give you this anecdote and we'll we'll see if time allows for the inclusion of it, but it's really a good illustration. So Monfred, you know, who was the, the boss, uh, uh, succeeding generations of these guys, I, I'd written him because that's how we did in, the, in those days, <laughs> and uh, m- dropped the name and told him I'd like to buy a hundred tops and would he allow me to pick through them, and can we establish a price? So at the time it's like 35 marks a top. Sure, you're welcome to pick through them. So to get cons- to uh, distill this a little bit, I go over there uh, in the context of the Nam, I mean uh, the the music messa. So I had an excuse for the trip, and take the trains. And I met Monfred there. He Introduces me. We had, uh, you know, we had a beer at 8:30 in the morning, which was their tradition. Um, And then he was busy so he sent me with his mom to go out. You know, I'm a guitar maker. What do I know? His mom can handle this. And so she takes me out to the the stack of wood, and he had he would put together 500 tops and allowed me to pick 100 from them. Right. So uh, I began going through the tops under his mom's supervision, and by lunchtime, I you know I I I'm pretty fast at this. I I'd, I'd found 77 tops that were really really nice, and then it fell off really quickly. Past that point, I couldn't find anything else. And uh, he comes out from doing his business with, uh, with an Asian group that was buying a boxcar load and, and says, great, you done? And I said, no, I'm not quite done yet. I've only got 70, 70. He says, no problem, let's go uh, get a, um, some, uh, bangers and mash and sauerkraut and some more beer and then we'll come back and let you finish up. So I came back knowing what I was getting into and uh, uh, Monfred said, you know, just tell him tell him you, you know, we made a deal if you want to change the price That's okay, but only 77 tops I want. So he he uh, nodded to that and said fine, you know, and he starts to put him in a box and after about 10 tops he slows down and he's starting to mutter and, and pretty soon, he's pretty vocal about this. I have no idea what he's saying. But Monfred, my violin-making friend, is edging closer and closer to the door, <laughs> wa- walking backwards. And finally, I go over to him and you know, out of earshot of, of uh, the boss. They're both named Monfred. Uh, and I said, what's he saying? And he says, he, what he's saying over and over again is he can't believe you found every freaking one. <laughs> <laughs> so, I wish I hadn't given the names here, but I think he'd find it amusing. The the thing is, is he had put 77 tops in this pile of uh, otherwise questionable wood, and as he said, he just thought I'd pick out a random variety and we'd be okay and 35 bucks was fair. So, wh- once we got this information that he realized I... I Found him out. Um, I, I went, Ooh, how do I get out of this? I'd like to do business with him again, so I don't want to alienate him. Uh, so I walked over to him and, and I said, You know, I really appreciate the time you've taken on this. I'm a guitar maker. What do I know? You know, I, I picked out some tops. It seems like I lucked out, and, and you're not really happy that I'm creaming the good stuff off here. Why don't you just pick the next 33? That makes 100, and then we'll pay, and everything will be good. And, he, and I think he knew exactly what was going on there. He had an opportunity to save face. I got what I wanted, and it, it really, what it did is increase the price of my 77, but everybody could go away and come back and work. So what that did was establish my credibility. Nice. I knew what the good stuff was. And uh, that, um, that got around, right? So that was my beginnings of dealing with these guys for wood uh, without their respect. I wouldn't have had access. And they would have ended up on the internet without me, right? Mm, right. As I introduced other people that I trusted to them, then they had the they saw the opportunity to sell the guitar makers and that we were, you know, real instrument makers.
1: And many of those early Santa Cruzs had German spruce
2: tops on them. That's right, the, the uh, original Tony Rice Uh, We didn't call it professional back then. We made the Tony Rice model out of Sitka and Indian because it's more affordable. But we also made a Brazilian and German spruce, just like we'd made for Tony uh, as an offering. It didn't have a different name. It was just a custom with that. And uh, because that's the sound he was looking for. Probably his taste was based on Adirondack, right, from the old days of Martin. Uh, uh, But when he heard the German, he went, yeah, that's the sound I want. Because Adirondack is similar to the uh European so in that now, tonality.
1: So you still have a, a a few suppliers I imagine in Europe oh, yeah. for, for Topwoods. How about uh Sitka? You have special kind of relationships like that for the Sitka choices as well or
2: Yeah, um let me pause here. Um I'm I'm always really hesitant to talk about uh my personal values in this. Because just like um, charity is something you do when nobody's looking, otherwise it's just marketing. Mm-hmm. And what I do as far as responsible harvest and promoting proper uh, forestry practices is my own personal values, not an opportunity for selling guitars. So we're always buying from the smaller families because they, mo- they share the values that we have. Uh, they not only respect the resource, but they'd like to do it for another 500 years. So they're very protective of of how, how they cut. So there's the first filter. We want to deal with people that have harvested things responsibly. That could be a sustainable yield where they grow things like a Christmas tree farm. It could be replanting, or for us, old wood is the most desirable because old wood sounds better than new wood. So there's one filter uh, that we go through when we're dealing with people. We just don't buy wood based on quality and price. We want that added attraction of that we're part of the solution rather than part of the problem. So yes, we develop relationships with most everybody uh, that we know about that sells the wood because they'll have something that's specific to a uh, like a flavor or color we want to get in their custom work. Whether it's the the change in tone from weight to strength ratio from where the wood comes from or uh, maybe they have something else that they sell and we want to do enough business to attract their attention so we might buy uh, spruce from them as well. I'm sorry to make that sound so complicated but it's, it, it is an art and it's and it's a bit of relationship maintenance. I want the reputation of being Relatively easy to deal with you know wood comes in there's stuff. We can't use I'd rather find a home for that than send it back to the vendor and become that guy, right? You know well It's problematic. and
1: It is complicated because you're (laughs) looking for very specific things in the materials that maybe a lot of other shops Aren't as picky about,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and yeah. you know, but I think there's a learning curve that both sides of any business relationship have to kind of go sure. through.
2: Absolutely, yeah, that's
1: very interesting.
2: Yeah, there's a, there's another part they have to know what that stuff is we reject. They just right. I want them to appreciate the fact that we'll come up with a solution rather than just sending it back to them.
1: Well, and and speaking of rejecting, it kind of leads into the next thing. Years ago. Spruce that came through with bear claw or other similar figuring was routinely rejected uh, as undesirable. Now there are some people who think it's a mark of a better quality material. What are your thoughts on? on you've kind of watched that happen. Yeah, uh-huh. um, I really have.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, Ad- Adirondack people used to, in general, the public didn't even know what it was. And it was like launching a new brand. It's like Adirondack costs more. No, thank you. You know, I'll take the regular stuff. So yeah, oftentimes when I'm talking about that, you know, I give I give tours. Of course, I got the aficionados that are very knowledgeable. I got the non-guitar playing spouse that gives me that look like, how can you sleep at night charging this much for a guitar? And those are the people that will look and go, what's that? You know, pointing to a bear claw top. And one uh, of <laughs> my explanations is some people find this really desirable and some people find it really disturbing, right, because uh, it's a variation in the grain. Uh, not so much opinion, but unsubstantiated folklore about this stuff. As I understood really early on when I was uh, uh, more involved in the violin aspect, that, uh, that Mittenwald School of, of uh, the violin building found that desirable. And, uh, and the and the other schools in Germany did not. There was a supposition on, on the bear claw that it represented a subset uh, that there was a reason why they liked it. Let's say that generally it was stiffer. You can't make a wood stiffer, but with stiffness you can make it thinner till you hit your target of flexibility, right? So is that true? Uh, in Sitka, it gets complicated. In Sitka, to be perfectly quartered doesn't expose the bear claw as much as slightly off quarter. So you're really looking for a piece that is really stiff, so it would have integrity and expose bear claw too. So there's a bit of a trick to it. When we find um, the right stuff, we're inclined to, to secure the whole tree. Our Brad Paisley signature model, which is an anecdote in itself, you know, that we ended up with that plum. Uh, Mr. Paisley wants Bearclaw uh, to represent his his model, and Sitka spruce, because that's the sound he's after. So we, when we find it, we, you know, we um, flip a coin, sell a car, and <laughs> buy the tree. So we have that, that uh, source secured for a while. What causes it? I don't know, and I've never heard a a credible explanation. In fact, most of the wood professionals say, you know, I don't really know why that happens. We can see structurally why it happens. If you think of the tree growing like a bundle of soda straws, uh, flame is when that stuff folds on itself and instead of going straight up and down, it'll come towards you and back away from you and down again. And when you cut through that, you're reflecting uh, the holes of the straws, which is dark, the sides of the straws which is light and the visual effect actually looks like you can see texture of that flame in there. Mm-hmm. But what causes that again is, is uh, somebody hearing this may have the definitive answer. I'd sure like it. Same with the bear claw. So uh, is, it, is it a detraction? No, absolutely not. We make awesome sounding guitars with it. We're looking for stiffer wood in there. Uh, so i can't even say that that's generally stiffer than the other so it's some nice delicious mystery there but we don't let that mystery throw a variable into our right, making right. because we choose it accordingly and work it to get consistency Whew. well there is an answer yeah well i mean
1: are there are there other characteristics i guess that I was wondering about too that you know in the years that you've been building guitars you've seen a change in market acceptance yeah. market expectance.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: you know, wh- where are we at now?
2: <laughs> well, you know what it is, it's more uh, information that allows people to make informed decisions, right? So we go back to 19 se- mid-1970s and we reintroduce COA. Uh, to the market. I love mahogany. One of my career goals, as I've said before, is to get mahogany the respect it deserves as a tone wood. It's always been positioned as the wood you put on the guitar with less decoration, and people <laughs> think the wood is inferior. Not the case. Uh, and starting out, we we're already launching a new brand, uh, why we were crazy enough to launch a new wood. Uh, time will tell, but uh, I wanted the sound of mahogany. I didn't want the inc- marketing encumbrance of mahogany. So we used koa, which is a similar tone, but of course, beautiful to look at. Yeah. So most players didn't connect that with the Hawaiian phase of the 2030s, the, the fad and that Martin made those. It was new wood, right? Mm. And in that sense, that new wood was a um, uh, launching a new brand. Okay. And nobody knew who we were, and that brings us around to market acceptance. Uh, what I had to do, actually, is uh, both Bob Taylor and Chris Martin called up and said, hey, you guys are using Koa. What's the story with that? And I said, it's a beautiful wood. It's a great tone wood. We can't sell it for the life of us. <laughs> you know, And uh, they offered models, and it became credible. And today we think of Koa as one of the acceptable tone was. So, uh, you know, that that, along with other simultaneous discovery, luthiers have presented, let's say, alternative materials to the point that they're accepted. Cocobolo, uh, different variations of Dalbergia's, the Rosewoods, are perfectly fine. And uh, we can do that, so I'm I'm gonna again say, it is, uh, the familiarity came from the Comfort level people had at trying new woods now in our 43rd year people actually Think we know what we're doing, you know So we come up with a different wood and they trust that we've uh, done the evaluation on it. So yes Uh, Also the look in wood
1: right so well and speaking of look there's two other things that I have I just made notes on to ask you about one is run out which um, Is both a visual as well as from what I understand and I may be wrong somewhat of a structural thing Mm -hmm. Uh, And the other one are uh, medullary rays, which is a a word you see talked about on the forum. And I don't know if people really understand what the true nature of the medullary rays are and and, um, what they indicate. I mean,
2: is that... Okay. Okay, well, you know what, we're somewhat related questions here. Uh, run out. If you go back to my analogy that the tree goes like a bundle of soda straws, mm-hmm. right? And if the tree wasn't influenced by gravity or wind, it could grow straight as a string, and you could cut a board out of it where all these holes come out the end of the board, right? right so right. the ingrain would be on the end, and the surface of the board would be uninterrupted. It'd be like looking at the side of the straws, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. It does have gravity, it does have wind, and, and the nature of getting a good yield out of it, people aren't gonna be able to think about run out, they're just gonna cut the most efficient yield. So in that case, the board's gonna have these holes come out everywhere, all over the surface. Right. So when you take a top, for instance, and which is a board you've cut in half and open like a book, those soda straws are gonna slant one way on one side and the other way on the other. So as you look at the piece, on one half, you're looking at the hole in the straw, it's just dark. And the other side, you're looking at the side of the straw, which is light. And in pretty transparent woods, that have a little more depth of uh, transparency, I should say. Like the European spruces, it really shows up. It, as you look at it, it's dark and light on the two halves, and people have a real question about that. Mm-hmm. It's funny, you turn it upside down it's just like corduroy it turns out to be reverse reverse those so structurally what's happening here you could say that the board with no runout or minimal runout actually has more structural integrity it would bear more weight okay um so in a guitar top first visually we find that undesirable because you have to answer the question how come one side's light and one side's dark? Sitka uh, Adirondack doesn't show as much, but it will, right? Okay. And then, of course, we have this uh, body of knowledge on the internet where all people heard is run out bad, yeah. you know? so they see that on their guitar and they think they've been uh, gamed. Right. The truth is, if we think of a guitar as a balance between structural integrity and the ability to resonate, we've got a conflict. Uh, the stiffer it is, the stronger it will be, but the stiffer it is, the less it'll resonate. Right, so we want to balance between the structural integrity and the ability to resonate. We choose automobile engineering and aerospace to build a guitar that's really light and resonant, but really strong by how the components are made and uh, the shapes we put together. So back to the runout. If you uh, made something for a purpose, you gain the strength necessary that it will never fail that doesn't have to be 100%. It might be 39%, might be 62%. But there's a point to where you could never break it in a reasonable use, right? Right. Right. And this is where we come to run out in the top. The top does not have to be perfectly free from run out. First, that's really hard to find uh, and get. uh, And secondly, it's not necessary to have the integrity or the sound that you need in it. So somewhere uh, less than 100% is purely is really acceptable. So let's go back to our, our our common body of knowledge. You know, if you take this tree, this bundle of soda straws and you put a blade on it and you whack it, it'll split right between the straws, right? So you'll have a piece that has no runout. But remember, these straws aren't straight up and down. They'll grow, they'll grow around a limb, and even six inches away from that limb, they'll still have that shadow of, of that return. And so your piece is gonna have it come in and out there. So, get, it, wood is not a homogeneous structure like a plastic or a metal. We're going to get some run out in any top. Cosmetically we want it agreeable, structurally we want it agreeable. And I realize it sound like a little bit like a politician here, but you're going to get some run out yeah, yeah. with it. Do we split all the wood to to maximize that? No, it's not necessary, right? right? right. Uh, we can take we can take sawn wood and evaluate if it's again if it's structurally sound enough for the guitar or not. It's not uh, a deal buster. Well, I, some aren't
1: some species of spruce more um, inclined to show run out than than others? I mean, isn't interesting.
2: Oh, um, show yes, because uh, oh, I'm going to say translucency. I said transparency. If you look at a piece of uh, Picea Abbey's, the European spruce, it actually has more depth of visibility in the wood than Sitka, which is shallower. So it's going to show those different light and darks a lot more, right, you know. Right. Uh, in fact, really dramatic sometimes. You'll see that in classical guitars. And it's not desirable cosmetically, because it makes th- people think they're getting something inferior. Right. So that was a lot of information. But Why it's not, not it, that run out in itself has to go to a degree that would compromise it structurally before it be right. a problem. And Which that's not going to happen.
1: Yeah, I was going to say. I was going to say. Very few, especially mm-hmm. guitar makers of your quality, are going to allow that kind of wood sure. to be used. Sure. So, so
2: we have an obligation to our customer, and that is to be able to charge for added value, and that could be the sky's the limit on that, as yeah. long as we're adding value. But then, if we're if we're charging for either inefficiency or pride, that's not ethical. Yeah. And, and to have, you know, to take, uh, to take your wood, hand split it, uh, make sure no electric tools ever touch it, <laughs> you know, is a pride issue. Yeah. And some people might be willing to pay for that because of their own pride. But that's not practical or ethical in our presentation because we're telling people we'll give you tangible value, right. not hocus pocus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So let's not discount. Watching for runout, but let's not worry about it too much. Either. Exactly, exactly.
1: That, well, that's kind of what I wanted to get across. Is there are some some people on the forums and on the internet that seem to feel like if you see the slightest bit of runout at mm-hmm. the top, that it's an inferior instrument? Well, it means and it
2: has the slightest bit of runout, yeah. and then you go to what effect is that? Um, if you can't discern it and it doesn't affect it structurally, then it's just again, it's a, a contextual uh, discussion, right. and it's good for forums.
1: There you go. Uh, go. So
2: I don't discount their concern, but it's a it's a degree of concern. There's a point where you shouldn't have to worry about it.
1: Right. Right. Okay. That's yeah. Oh no, (laughs) that's all very good. I think that that's all good stuff to get across. I think I think we've covered spruces. Pretty well. Well, medullary rays. That's right. That was the other thing I was mm-hmm. gonna. Um, medullary
2: rays. Okay. So again, our bundle of soda straws. Mm-hmm. They'll carry the. Uh, they'll carry the uh, waterborne nutrients to every cell in the tree. Uh, but there's a connection between those that transfers that, and that is like you think of the little capillaries, you know. And that's what the medullary rays are. And they're exposed when you cut something perfectly on the quarter. You'll see those medullary rays. So now watch this tongue twister: When you see the medullary rays really defined, we call it silking in a guitar top, mm-hmm. or in quarter-sawn oak and craftsman furniture. Uh, what do we call that? It's like the little uh, the flakes, the little the-, the wiggles that go through yeah, there. Yeah. That's an indication that you quarter-sawn it. Okay. The absence of it doesn't mean it's not quarter sun. Right. right. It just gets exposed the most there. Now, why do you see it sometimes and sometimes you don't? I don't know the science behind that. Kind of like um, Bear Claw, but I, I do know that it looks pretty when yeah. the guitar top's really silky. And sometimes it's sparkly like little needles. And those tops I will set aside so that somebody that sees it and desires it can get it on their guitar rather than just have it. Show up.
1: But it isn't necessarily an indication of a better quality no. top or a better sounding top. It's merely another aesthetic well, presentation. again,
2: we're going to talk degrees here. Yeah. Not that I can discern. You know, if I was making a guitar for, that, that I really wanted to be the best sounding guitar possible, that's not one of the things I would insist on to get what I want in sound. Got it. Uh, it could, it, it, I don't know this, but it could indicate by some degrees some superiority in the velocity or speed of resonance, but it's not enough for me to, to, to hear that, therefore I'm not going to charge somebody. Got for it. it. Might charge somebody for the rarity, you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: again, this aesthetic kind that'd of be, call. That'd be
2: nice, now that i shot that out there, maybe somebody that is into that as a scientific discipline has an answer for that.
1: Yeah, not a lot of scientific discipline going on at this point. Well, case, that's why <laughs> yeah. we're trying to do this. Yeah, that,
2: that <laughs> is. And this is an important part of my, you know, all of my uh, discussion about guitars is the degree at which it matters to the player. Right, You know, otherwise it's just academic.
1: Which, which leads kind of into this next thing in terms of what it matters to a player. Common problems with guitar tops.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think the most common problem that I can think of is people letting their guitars dry out excessively. Um, yeah. Which can lead to the top changing shape or it can lead to the top splitting and many times that split is along the the glue joint between the two halves of the top simply because the glue is well it, that's just going to be a place where the stress is going to be different than anywhere else
2: or the glue can get structurally compromised from uh, humidity where the top itself there, exactly. uh, would, would move but it's still going to hold together yeah so to answer that Uh, We have a very good body of knowledge, you know? 43 years of making guitars, and people come to us when something goes wrong. Yeah. We'll break it into things that happen from trauma that are obvious, you know? Um, Airline handling, domestic dispute, you get a crack in your guitar. Uh, The things that are environmental come from heat or humidity variations. Guitars, uh, again, to simplify it, the, the less you charge for a guitar, the more you will make to satisfy that demand and the more durability is your concern. Because you can sell guitars with marketing. You don't have to worry about sound. So durability that you don't have to fix them or develop a reputation for your guitars coming apart. The less people play, the more they're going to take it to the beach or camping and things like that. The more you want to control the sound of it, of course, the more, dur- the more you're going to make that structure work for resonance, and you're not going to overbuild. Again, you're going for that balance. Cracks in wood can happen in anything, but if you have a wood that's a laminate, where the grains run 90 degrees each other in layers, um, it can't shrink and swell like a a solid piece of wood was. It's less likely to crack in that regard. Uh, A a natural solid piece of wood is hydroscopic. It's gonna take on and lose moisture. And there's a point, if you fix the guitar top to uh, the perimeter of the sides, and it shrinks, it can only go so far before something gives. Right. Usually the glue joints are actually stronger than the wood, so what separates is the wood at its weakest link, like a chain. guitar top being bookmatched, you'll see cracks in both places on there Uh as it shrinks. The center seam is prone to that if you have a combination of high humidity or, let me take that back, Uh, extreme dryness. Uh, the Something like a tight bond uh, can be stronger than the wood up to a point, but that, yeah, it'll fail from uh, humidity and, and extremes in temperature, and that joint will come apart. It's really good to address those things as soon as possible, mm-hmm. because they'll get exaggerated as they lose more moisture, and be, you couldn't really bring them together again. You might have to splice in another piece, and it just gets harder and harder over time. Uh, the other part of it is is people like to love their instruments, they like to put commercial products on it to make it shiny. Some of those have silicone which will resist finish and glues and attempts to repair. So mm-hmm. you move that stuff into your crack and that's going to keep you from being able keep to up. do it. Uh, there's other things that happen with dryness. Your fret ends will stick out because mm-hmm. metal doesn't shrink. But the material, of the fingerboard right, will. Right, right. Um, uh, the geometry can change and change your action, et cetera, et cetera. So, real good to be watching that kind of stuff. On guitars that are made well, uh, part of the value is they're made also to be restorable right. and, and be repaired.
1: Well, and, that, and that's kind of what I was wondering. So, if you have mm-hmm. a, a, a well made instrument that suffered a humidity related crack or an mm-hmm. impact related crack, and you bring it into a qualified luthier like your shop or somebody else, mm-hmm. and they glue that back together and right. maybe they put some little cleats or something underneath it. Yeah. How do you feel that affects the the structural quality of the instrument? I mean, is there is there an effect or or is would you say it's as good or just about as good or you know, again, better
2: contextual? Yeah. Uh, uh, how, what was the methodology that it was done with? Cleats are controversial, because now we have this body of knowledge of, of uh, you know, decades if not, you know, uh, almost centuries, and seeing what happens with repairs over time. You know, when you put a cross-grain cleat on that crack, it behaves differently than the other part does. It might compound a new crack in it, so that's under discussion. Some, Okay. Um, you know, Hotshot uh, guitar technicians will say cleats are not necessary. They compound the problem and at some degree they will affect the sound of it. You know, I did uh, uh, a reset on uh, David Grissman's pre-war D28 years and years ago and there was a little um, piece of a, a hardware store yardstick, wooden <laughs> yardstick in there to clean a crack. And I never, I never go, what in the heck were they thinking? I go like, that's what it took. You know, back then to make that instrument functional again, you go to uh, the guy that, I don't know what he does, repairs furniture and he finds that's a solution and hopefully you can undo yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Undo- <laughs> those things will affect sound. Right. Cleats at a certain point will affect the sound because they restrict the top from moving. Well, the a um,
1: cleat made from a yardstick is gonna be a pretty <laughs> large. was it, it was just a
2: yardstick, yeah. Yeah, with that. If the crack is properly cleaned or clean and you get the right glue in it, and you hold it together, you may rehydrate the instrument to get that crack back to where you could repair it. It should be as strong as the wood itself. Now, in the violin tradition, that's different. There there are, it uh, depends on how close it is to the sound post, the stress on that, and people really talk about it. I could do a 75-year repair for you, you know. I cannot do a 150-year repair because of where the crack is, you know. You need a new top. So, we could really get into some, Fun science there.
1: I think that's part of the the appeal of of your approach to guitar making, is that there is this long-term expectation that this instrument is, yes, we're building it for you, but we're also building it for the future and that's yeah
2: that's what I got that from uh, well you know Code of Ethics in the violin school of building and one of the tenets is restorability that you build that into the instrument and that's really funny in our modern day and age when you can buy a blender at Target for $19 yeah you you did ask in that about uh, other things that can happen to the top yeah Um, uh, let's say we 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 have a brand name that's proven uh, durability uh, over time so we're talking about uh, other variables environmental factors that come into it. We have a guitar That's uh, it doesn't matter how old it is it could happen You have to go in and you have to do something and you have to put that guitar Leave it in your car or put it in the trunk and you get delayed and it gets hundred and sixty degrees Plus in there you never leave your kid or your dog in there But the guitars glues can actually get a little plastic in some glues and under string tension it's gonna move right? Also, you take a guitar that gets set in the closet and not played, you don't notice the, the, the changes over time, that are not being adjusted for, and you come back, and it, it, it. the string tension is not just there when you're playing it, it never sleeps, you know, it's there when you put the guitar in the closet for two years while you go off and sail around the world. And that tension is, is in a steel string with a pin bridge, it's pulling straight up, and it's pushing straight down on the bridge. So that's a rocking motion that generates our air compression for sound. But that torque, if you will, is trying to push the top into the sound hole and, and belly it up behind there. Also, the angle of the neck and the fingerboard extension is trying to, that fulcrum action is coming forward trying to push that into the sound hole. So the whole guitar is trying to go into the sound on hole. Itself. Right, that raises the action. Uh, By two things one the bridge is actually coming up a little bit But also the whole top is shortening as you as you that geometry changes And as that distance shortens the neck comes forward and they feed each other and go on and on and on So at some point you could reset the neck, but at some point you've got a distorted top uh, That wouldn't allow you to do that remedy and you would have to if the guitar had enough uh, Historic or sentimental value you restore the top if not you would replace the top so a guitar needs periodic adjustments just like a car nothing gets better uh when you put it in the closet and store right. it so and then of course that's compounded if there's humidity and temperature extremes
1: yeah, yeah. okay so that basically covers you know sp- we've talked about the uh the spruces but there are a couple of other softwoods that are used on tops and and i'm thinking primarily cedar and redwood although there might be others, um, you know. Do you have any specific comments or thoughts about those?
2: I do. Now this isn't a rebuke, this is, this is for us to understand. Softwood and hardwood, doesn't have to do with how soft and how hard the wood is. Right. It's another distinction in what you know where the what these trees are. Um, it, it, it's really more like deciduous versus evergreen and things like that. Right. That's why I always so, tell
1: people is that balsa wood is is technically other, a hardwood. That's right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> that's right. So we we can't make a top out of any wood and get the the uh, quality and quantities of sound. Uh, that we want. There's a certain weight-to-strength ratio we have to operate within certain parameters to get the guitar to be strong enough and and respond well enough. And um, surprisingly, uh, I mean obviously things like spruce, redwood, cedar all have that lightweight-to-strength ratio you expect would be cool on that. And I'll explain where redwood and cedar fall in. I think you asked that question. But what about koa and mahogany? Now, koa and mahogany vary a lot in density. A lot. And we pick the proper density when we make a koa or a mahogany top. And we thickness according to that density. So the measurements can be all over the place. But the, the, but the uh, durometer, the flexibility of the wood, is always going to be consistent, if that makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. So we'll, when we make a mahogany or a koa top, I'm going to say, as a wild generalization, it's probably going to be uh, 2 to 4 tenths thinner at its, uh, uh, at its thinnest point than a spruce would be. And that's necessary to get the response out of it, but it's also going to be strong enough right? Right. And this explains why you play a uh, like a single O Martin from the 20s uh, made out of co mahogany and you go, wow, that's one of the best sounding guitars I ever heard. And you play the modern version and you go, oh dear. You know, if you're polite, you'd say it's mellow, but really it's restricted. It doesn't sound very good. It's not very resonant. And the difference is back, in the 20s, those, those woods were actually thickness with their densities as a consideration. Today for efficiencies, those woods all go through the same wide belt sander and come out the same dimensions. So the, the, the thickness for a dreadnought ends up on a single O and it's, it's restricted, right? right? So these woods can be treated um, or, or manipulated to be exceptionally sounding instruments. And again, one of my goals is to get mahogany its due as a tone wood. So we love to make instruments out of that and we can guarantee the, the results in sound. I hope mm-hmm. that that was illustrative more than just a commercial for no, no, yeah. cohen mahogany. Well, I was
1: going to get into the hardwoods later, but that's yeah. fine. That that that's, you know
2: Well people make you know, people prejudge those expecting them not to sound very good. Because yeah. they'll base it on a modern Martin or Taylor or Gibson rather than one of the oldies.
1: One of ours. And and my comment on that, that would add to that also, is that, and this came up in a forum discussion recently, they aren't necessarily as loud. And when something isn't loud, people perceive it as not having tone or quality of sound yeah Um,
2: i i i'm sorry
1: and and basically you know just because it isn't as loud as something else doesn't mean it doesn't sound really good
2: (laughs) that's uh i'm going to say there's truth to that um there's also the misconception what people's samples are and what they're judging right Is this an intelligently made guitar where people use luthery principles to dimension the wood to bring the best out of it? Or was it a factory effort where the things were pre-sized and it was just too heavy? So aside from that, you know, the airspace um, uh, translates to volume. Uh, uh, the reason the dreadnought was invented not to make a better-sounding guitar, where in the parlor the guitar only had to be loud enough for the biggest room in the house. The dreadnought was invented because now people were on stage competing with the barking dogs and banjos, and they wanted volume. So the quality didn't improve; just the volume. Right. But there are ways to make a small guitar pretty responsive, and that led. Uh, You know, our Firefly, which is like a guitar from the 1870s, got a stupendous review and guitar player, that it shocked them Mm -hmm. because they didn't have the reference of a really well-made little one. Yeah. Okay, I'll get off that. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I'm a big fan of little guitars.
1: Well, I I just say it because I know that um, I do have an OM-29, um, which is just an amazing-sounding guitar, but definitely not as loud as most anything else. Um, and they have an Alcoa H and an Alcoa F. And again, Good they're, sample. Yeah. they're really, really sweet sounding guitars. But, you know, if I wouldn't take any of them to a bluegrass you know, jam of any kind because they'd never be heard. Nor would I want them to be in that environment. <laughs> so, so I was gonna ask a little bit, Santa Cruz builds what about 6 to 700 guitars a year still is that um,
2: no uh, we as, as a custom builder until recently we had to we had to carry ourselves by building a certain number of standard models right mm, okay. things that look like Gibsons and Martins really and as time's gone on we've really established our Own as custom builders and it's not necessary for us to build those standard models So with that today we make more complex guitars that take more time and we make less of them Okay, right so we this year we will probably do 425 guitars for the whole world. Okay, right? Yeah, and they're all custom they're all either going to uh, in end-user or a Store and oftentimes we're talking to the end-user through the store so, that, but yeah. so,
1: even, even at four to 500 guitars a year, you're out there having to buy four or 500 tops a year? Um, or are you buying more and storing them for the future? Or are you, right. I mean, how do you, uh, I know that the, the violin tradition was to store wood for generations. Yeah. I mean, is that kind of your approach as well? Are you approaching things like well, that? This, kind will, of this will come
2: up in some of your uh, uh, upcoming. Questions and it's about the quality of sound you get from uh, wood. The farther it is from the living tree, the more resonant it's going to be. Right. And, I'll, and I'll go into that. The reason somebody would buy wood and store it is to, uh, of course, uh, uh, hedge against deprivation, you know, uh, at right. some point if the supply wasn't there, but also to get the benefits of aging, right? So if we start with old wood, we've already got the benefits of aging, right? We don't need a huge inventory. Also, if we buy a tree, which we do, shipping it to Santa Cruz is gonna cost, and and paying rent to store something in Santa Cruz is absolutely ridiculous. Much better that tree is wherever it's in in situ, and we have it milled there and and sent to us as we need it. So we might have uh, the control of that wood, but not have it on site. So we're not stuck under the same thing uh, with a builder of old who uh, saw the opportunity, bought a whole bunch of wood, and secured right. their future. It would be prudent to a degree, but there's also uh, other places we want to put our money. Okay. You know, paying people better, investing in equipment, notoriety, and things like that. So it's a balance of how much wood that we actually store. Right. Uh, but again, my real uh, checking account here is the goodwill with the vendors rather than how much wood I can get at once. Right. Uh, with that. Yeah, yeah. You know I did, did want to address that. Uh, here you said what kind of characteristics do we find in like redwood and uh, oh, cedar and versus mm-hmm. those and I wouldn't mind saying that really quickly. Sure, no. Okay. Uh, remember we talked about weight to strength ratio and response and tone bright dark uh, blended to bright clear but there's another thing there's velocity. How quickly does something respond and uh, with how much volume. So let me make this statement, then I'll, I'll uh, 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 justify it. A piece of wood can respond to string energy uh, rapidly with clarity, or it can be slower with warmth. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So your playing style will dictate what's the best for you. Eric Sky model is made of uh, cocobolo, Adirondack, he gets a bright, clear, quick sound works for him. Yeah. And he plays in standard tunings, You know, maybe a drop, maybe standard tunings. If he, if, if it was the player that did that, but they did an open tuning, two things are going to happen. One is you're not using a pick, you're using your fingers. That's putting less energy in the guitar and getting less volume back. Also when you do an open tuning you tune some keys down, the slacker the the string the less energy it imparts when you put it in. So both of these combine to give the guitar less energy and you get less volume in return. So both cedar and redwood respond quicker with more volume for the same amount of energy as the spruces do. So here we're compensating for that and you can do open tuning with finger style and you get quicker response with more volume than if you did the same on spruce. So that's where these fit in really nicely. I mean, we we made a, a, a bluegrass dreadnought for Tony Rice out of cedar. And it was a cannon. It was a monster. I'm sorry you lost track of that guitar. Wow, wow. That was like 40 years ago. Um, <laughs> but that's where we would put it. Like on our fingerstyle guitar, open tunings. Not because it's quieter, because it's quicker.
1: So rather than simply putting those two on a linear scale with the spruces, you've actually kind of opened the scale up into a, yeah. a whole palette that you can go in yeah. a variety of directions. Yeah. So
2: in our fingerstyle model, we're not only using cedar, but we're bracing uh, for a more even EQ. So because the, the fingerstyle doesn't want a booming bass, they want to decide that uh, each note they play whether or not to do that. So those where those fall in really, really nicely. It. And it can also be very, it can be versatile in the sense of making guitars for people that are playing for their own enjoyment uh, and things like that as well.
1: Right, right, right.
2: So it's an, it's a neat wood. It's not a novelty.
1: So, that that covers an awful lot of the 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 I want to say natural materials mm-hmm, yeah. uh, that you use for all of your lutherie. There are also stuff going on in the industry that i'm sure you're very aware of and have some feelings about and maybe have experimented with there's the torfication process mm-hmm. that people are using to try and replicate old wood in a matter of seconds there's the nomex or the double top technologies uh, there's carbon fiber I, I don't know what else. Is, yeah, what else out there? I mean, that you've seen or you're aware of, or your thoughts on any of this. Sure,
2: people. You know, like in this uh, in, in this uh, accelerated uh, day of of knowledge sharing and expansion of, of uh, information, we also have shortened the. Um, development time a lot of things so there's new material showing up all the time, Right. you know There's a, a metal composite now that fascinates me that returns Multiple times the energy that anything else does in the world That's intriguing, you know when you come to controlling the sound in the guitar There's some things you want the energy to come back and some things you want to block it So right. th- those kind of things are real exciting. I think your question is these, most of these things have, uh, or half of these have something in common. They're trying to imitate the sound of old wood, uh-huh. right? Some of them are for uh, a manufacturing facility, they're cheaper to use. Some of them are just the novelty of having something new out in the marketplace. So there's a lot of reasons for these, and I don't discount any of them like, that's not real wood, that doesn't count, that's not real. they all have their purpose. You've heard me say that I'm a huge fan of cheap guitars. You know, uh, The cheaper the guitar, the more people play music uh, and the world's a better place. Right, you know, a cheap guitar right. is good. And if you can make them out of carbon fiber, uh, your manufacturing process is really shortened. You can get more guitars out there cheaper. Yeah. Uh, not all carbon fiber guitars are cheap. Yeah, Some no. are, are really, really expensive. So I'd kind of have to take each of these in turn to compare it to say what we're doing. But let's start with, the, let's start with trying to get the, the sound of an old guitar. There's, there's three things that make old instruments sound uh, what we consider better than new ones. And one is the, the wood itself becomes more resonant over time as the sticky resins polymerize and become more like crystal. That's really simple. Uh, an old violin is a couple hundred years old. old. The wood is so much more resonant than when it was made. We're not discounting the gift of the master that built it, we're just saying that instrument sounds much better. So you have two choices. You make an instrument and wait 200 years before you sell it, or you start with wood that's really, really old and you get the same effect. And this wood, wood will develop this polymerization, whether it's in, in, in an instrument, whether it's on a, a boat builder's shelf, underwater or in outer space, it will go through that polymerization. So you know our methodology is to use old wood. Uh, there's the benefit we don't have to cut trees when we get that, which is really nice, but we get better sounding stuff. Right. Torrefaction is a way to accelerate that process, partially, by uh, when, you, when, when we get a piece of old wood, we still will put it through a process of, of uh, um, air drying, but we're controlling temperature, humidity, and airflow in a chamber rather than letting the changes in weather do it for us. So we're really uh, we can do it accurately and assuredly to get you know dry, good-sounding wood. Right, lumber on a larger scale, and what most guitars are built out of, is wood that's cut from a tree uh, within you know. A years time you bake in an oven which evaporates the moisture and it's stable enough to go in an instrument but the sticky stuff is still there right so it's resonance is going to be inhibited until that polymerizes what's going to take a long time thus this folklore about guitars get better and better the more you play them right there's something there but the biggest factor is the resonance of the wood so torrefaction is that you take the same process of kiln drying that I described where you heat up the wood, create a a lower atmospheric pressure outside the wood than in it, and it pulls the moisture out and uh, makes it dry and keeps the stuff sticky. So torrefaction heats the wood up enough that it burns out the interior of the cell, the hemicellulose. It's more like the spongy part of it that holds the water. And you burn that out and you make it more clear, cleaner, more resonant. And the way they do that is what is it, 451, that wood kindles at. um, You can't have that, you'd burn up your wood. But uh, to catch on fire, it needs uh, fuel, the wood itself, uh, ignition, which is a match or heat, and oxygen. So if you take one of those away, it won't combust, and that would be oxygen. You do it in a a vacuum or a nitrogen atmosphere, you can get it hot enough to burn out the stuff, and then you have torrefaction. So we just don't need to do that, because we start with all wood. Right. And get right. that benefit. But we have done that so we can be uh, smart about talking about it and also just to see if there's something there. Mm-hmm. And yes, there is. It's a very cool thing, but we don't have control of the process yet. Okay. And with that, we get, we're get we throwing variables in when this stuff is torrified. We don't know we're getting the same thing each time. And the last thing we want is variables in our recipe for sound or our structural integrity. True. Right. And there are people that are pulling this together, and I think we'll see great things out of it.
1: Well, and I think you you are building guitars with a 100-year mentality, which, <laughs> you know, right, yeah. this, these new Thank processes, you. I mean, nobody's really given them the 100-year thought. It's interesting when you just said that it burns out the the interior of the cells, which is the part that holds the That's moisture. That's the way I understand it. And yeah, again,
2: yeah. opinion, no, it's 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 the uh, the best that I understand the technology. Well,
1: it makes sense because yeah. I've heard that these materials can be hydrophobic; they, they don't mm, like yeah. water, mm-hmm. and it would make that's sense. That's a good thing. You know, um, yeah. howl uh, at the
2: moon and no. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's great. You know, one extreme is you don't do it enough; it doesn't make any difference. The other extreme is you make it so brittle uh, that the bridge could pull off, you know, or the braces could or it could crack. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Somewhere in between there is. Just right. So to date, we'd prefer to do the tried and true, working with the old wood because we get exactly what we want. Uh, but I want to be smart about it. There's no store for old wood, right? And when my when I'm not no longer maintaining my connections, uh, 50 years, and will Santa Cruz Guitar Company be able to uphold that? I don't know. Right. It'd be nice to have right. an ace in the hole.
1: There you go. There yeah, you go. On that. Well, we have taken up a whole bunch of your time uh, and really appreciate it. And unfortunately, there's still a number of questions that I would <laughs> love to can, continue to, in, yeah. to talking for another few hours, but I don't know if we'd be able to keep our
0: audience. <laughs> well, I think that this is uh, obviously something that we can come back and revisit. Yeah, um, you bet. Um, uh, you uh,
2: pick uh, your cutoff point on this, and we'll just do part two. Yeah. Because uh, there's some great questions coming up here. Yeah, 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 there, yeah. there
0: really are. And, uh, you know, just the, 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 the intensity of... What we're talking about here it's so important to the whole understanding of how this works
2: well that's a great great you you know i mean mean,
0: and and i really would think that probably we should split it up so we don't lose them in one yeah you know and 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 grab it to two i mean obviously
1: well and i think that this also helps and that that we should make more comment about the fact that if somebody wants a guitar built, this is why it's so important to talk to Richard or to talk to somebody here in the shop,
0: and and also you know? to have played a lot of instruments and yeah. to understand uh, and played a lot of old instruments and gone to the gone to the trouble of actually mm-hmm. understanding what you want, right? And not just reading you know yeah. reading the marketing or
1: everybody on the forum says I want an Adirondack top.
0: I just think that the depth of the depth of where we have been in the last hour and a half been that long. Is so worth us revisiting, yeah. I, and, and and taking taking what we have from here, because I know that we're going to get some some definite response back from this. Mm-hmm. Taking what we have here and then adding it to these questions that we didn't get to cover this time, and going back and doing Thank a little you. refresher. That's really wise. Doing a little refresher course yeah. on it, you know, and well, just and letting it sit for a while. It, you know, not old questions and old wood, but just letting it just letting it sit and percolate a little bit, and, and, and see what comes out of this. Because obviously, there's this is the reality. So. Richard, your time has been fascinating today. Thank you so much. Yes. Um, once again, yeah, I'm the luckiest we, guy in the world to sit <laughs> on this brown <laughs> no, couch. I'm the luckiest guy <laughs> in the world
2: to have you here
0: to to, to, to to really get to really get this this depth of clarity. Yeah, you know, I not, and not just appreciate it. And just that. So But with a good sense of blendedness as well. And funny.
2: <laughs> I will you I will do this disclaimer when we start again next time. I, I think players are owed this information, but at the same time I wanna say you don't have to remember any of this to have a, an effective discussion on a custom guitar. Absolutely. Uh, it's a lot Absolutely. simpler to get what you want. I'm just, I'm describing, myth-busting, I'm describing how, where do these things come from, because they are within our control. And uh, when people talk in terms of them being something that, that the luthier has no uh, uh, control over, that's unfortunate, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, it could be, because we can explain it scientifically, makes it nonetheless magic.
0: And the magic is really why we're here. <laughs> <Until
2: now. laughs> Thank you. Thank you
0: very much, Richard. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed part one. Part two is even more exciting. So tune in again next time for Santa Cruz Coffee Break with Richard Hoover discussing guitar tops. Music for this episode was graciously provided by the Carolyn Sills Combo. The song is Rotary Phone. Thank you for joining us on the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Please spread the word to other guitar players who you think would enjoy listening. Remember to check the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum site for more information about the topics we discussed, as well as to get the links to the artist reference today. You can also make suggestions for future podcasts or submit questions that we might pose to Richard Hoover and his team. The Santa Cruz Coffee Break is a special project by members of the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum and is solely the opinion of those speaking. The Santa Cruz Coffee Break is hosted produced and engineered by the Tadman Group. Keep on playing and come back next month.